Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Colorado Switchblade. I'm your host, as always, Jason Van Tatenhove. How's your week been? Has it been good? It's been all right. It's been okay. Had some great interviews, though. I had a good interview with uh, Aaron O'Toole of KUNC, which is a station I grew up listening to. Um, That should be coming out in a couple weeks, so keep your eyes out and... uh, yeah, we'll go from there. I uh, Today, here on this show, I also had another great interview, but we're, today we're delving into a topic that's vital to our democracy, yet often overlooked, the transparency and openness of our government. Joining us is a special guest, Jeff Roberts, the Executive Director of the Colorado Freedom of Information Coalition, or the CFOIC. The CFOIC plays a crucial role in advocating for the public's right to know and access to government information right here in Colorado. And you know, Jeff isn't just an advocate. He's a seasoned journalist who spent over two decades at the Denver Post, where he honed his skills in investigative journalism and data analysis. He really put the time in in the trenches. His transition from journalism to the realm of public policy and information transparency speaks volumes about his dedication to these crucial issues. Under Jeff's leadership, the CFOIC has been at the forefront of numerous battles for open records and meetings, ensuring that government entities remain accountable to the public they serve. Whether it's challenging closed-door decisions or fighting for access to public records, Jeff and the CFOIC have been indispensable resources for journalists, citizens, really anyone who's been in, who has an interest in government transparency. Today, we'll explore the challenges faced in maintaining government transparency in Colorado, trying to understand more about the role of CFOIC and discuss how journalists and authors and really anyone who has a a vested interest in their communities um, can leverage the resources to hold local governments accountable. So we're going to get started and dive into the world of open government with Jeff Roberts, right after I pay the bills with this quick audio commercial. Little side note, uh, one of the topics we were talking about uh, with Aaron O'Toole of KUNC in the interview that I did was the the power of storytelling for social change. And, and we talked uh, a bit about the book that this commercial is about. So something to look forward to. Um, it should be on the morning show. And I think it, it, it was only supposed to be nine minutes, but we, we wound up doing like an hour interview. So um, I believe she's going to use it for different segments along the way, but who knows, maybe it'll just be the nine minutes, but it was a great interview, great conversation. So when I have that, at, when that's out, um, I will be sure to post a link to the interview right here on the Colorado Switch. Have you ever visited the breathtaking landscapes of Estes Park, Colorado, and wished your adventure didn't have to end? Now you can continue the journey with Colorado's chance, the Firewalker. A thrilling supernatural adventure set right in Estes Park, Rocky Mountain National Park, and Aspen. Follow the story of Chance Van Horn, a seasoned journalist, as he delves into mysterious occurrences at the Summit Hotel, navigating through a labyrinth of danger, enigmatic symbols, and dark secrets. And join summer and winter his adventurous nieces 
as they uncover hidden realms and mystical libraries, all set against the stunning backdrop of Colorado's Rockies. Whether you've visited Estes Park, call it home, or have yet to experience its wonders, this novel brings the magic of the mountains to life, weaving a tale of suspense, mystery, and unbreakable bonds of family. So are you ready to dive back into the beauty of Colorado and embark on an unforgettable supernatural adventure? Grab your copy of Colorado's Chance, The Firewalker, today, available on Amazon.com. Don't miss out on this journey of mystery, resilience, and the magic of the supernatural, crafted by Estes Park's own Jason Van Tatenhove. All right, we're just going to jump right into the interview with Jeff Roberts of the CFOIC. Jeff, thank you for joining us today on the Colorado Switchblade. Before we delve into the intricacies of open government and transparency, I was hoping you could just share a little bit about your own human journey from a journalist at the Denver Post to leading the CFOIC. What was it in your life experience that sparked the passion you seem to have for transparency and accountability when it comes to government and, and journalism? Just what, what was it that kind of sparked that for you? Sure, and thanks for having me on, Jason. Um, yeah, I can I can draw a, a direct line to uh, my reporting, uh, my work at the Denver Post as a as a journalist. Um, I spent 23 years there, a lot of that time as a data journalist. So um, when you are working with public records databases, spreadsheets, that type of thing, that's your primary job. You make a lot of records requests. And so um, I became very interested in that. The Colorado Freedom of Information Coalition uh, then was uh, called the Colorado Freedom of Information Council. Uh, it had been formed in 1987 by an editor of the Rocky Mountain News. And it was an all volunteer organization in the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, I was one of those volunteers. So um, I was, uh, representing the Denver Post and the Press Association on this, on this, uh, the board of this organization that that uh, was very low key, very under the radar, um, but was all about um, access to uh, public records, open meetings, court uh, records, things like that, court access, um, and uh, you know, I I just was I became very passionate about it in that respect because you. You, um, you know, if you are going to um, use uh, public records in your reporting, um, you learn about about the the denials, the problems with access. And so I got to know um, the the attorneys who work on on this in Colorado. Um, and then uh, much later on, so I left the Denver Post in uh, 2007. Uh, I was out of journalism for a while. I worked at the University of Denver at a fiscal policy think tank for about four and a half years. Um, that project lost its funding. I was looking around again. Uh, lo and behold, um, CFOIC wanted to transform itself from an very under the radar organization into uh, an everyday resource for not just the journalists, but the public in Colorado. So they were looking the first ever executive director um, to build this up. This was in 2013, so uh, more than 10 years ago, to build this up, to raise money, to really uh, start it from scratch as a, as a visible entity. Um, and uh, that's what we've done. 
So that's my uh, personal journey. And the more and more I've done this, uh, worked on this, I think I've just become more passionate about it because I know so much more. I know what uh, people face in trying to get access to public records and meetings and court uh, documents and things like that. And so the more I know, the more passionate I get about it. The other thing that's happened over that time, uh, as everybody knows, um, journalism has changed. Yeah, it really has. So, um, you know, you have uh, m- many fewer journalists than there used to be. You have um, less resources in newsrooms that are able to fight these battles. And so, um, you know, one of the reasons we decided to beef up CFOIC is to help journalists, to help the public uh, in this regard. And I, I feel uh, very proud that we've been able to, to make a difference, I think. Well, with that in mind, let's let's shift our focus to a broader landscape in Colorado. So Colorado has had its share of challenges when it comes to government transparency. Could you elaborate on some of the recent challenges or cases that the CFOIC has encountered and, and why were they significant specifically in regard to kind of the changing environment of local journalism here in Colorado? Yeah. So one of the things that that I do is I, um, I run a hotline, our Freedom of Information hotline. Over the last 10 years, I've responded to 5,750 some inquiries um, from journalists and the public. About 40% of those are from people in the public, sometimes people in government. So often the, the, um, the cases that end up in court um, start with questions to CFOIC. And, and uh, there have been a few uh, recently uh, that, that have uh, ended up this way. I should add, though, in, um, in Colorado, the only way to challenge a denial of access is through the courts. So some states have other means. They have administrative appeals processes, things like that. But in Colorado, for both the um, open records laws and the... Um, open meetings law, your only way of really challenging a denial is to go through the courts. And so uh, people have questions about whether you know a denial was appropriate or not, so they come to me. So we've had a few things, uh, even in the past year, that have been very significant as far as open records, open meetings go. Um, there was a case um, that started with a question from a Nine News reporter to me. Um, last summer, you might recall, there was a, a really severe hailstorm at Red Rocks. Yeah. And so the it, text yeah. messages. Um, and, and, and people were, people were um, uh, injured, uh, you know, definitely freaked out uh, and uh, felt like the response from uh, the city, which which owns Red Rocks, um, you know, was lacking in some respects. And so a Nine News reporter requested text messages um, from the uh, the people who, who run Red Rocks, the, the director and um, the uh, uh, Denver events um, uh, director at that time uh, about, you know, that night. Well, how were they communicating that night? What, what was their response? Um, what was their response the next day? What was being said? Um, you know, the reporter wanted to find out a little bit more about about the response and and whether it was uh, adequate or not. 
Texans. The city of Denver responded to that request saying, well, text messages uh, are not public records. So um, these are text messages that involve public business. Um, and they may have been sent or received on a private cell phone, uh, but they were still um, uh, regarding public public business. And so, um, you know, the way the, the law has been interpreted in the past is that it doesn't matter whether they're sent or received on a private device or a private account. If they concern public business, they are subject to the CORA, the Colorado Open Records Act. Um, but Denver claimed otherwise. So this went to court. Nine News um, actually sued Denver. Um, our board president, Steve Zansberg, who is the, probably, he is the number one media attorney in the state, represented Nine News and, and won the case. Um, and the city decided not to appeal. So that was a very good ruling, which um, you know doesn't have an effect on other uh, uh, um, bodies in Colorado because it's it's just one it's a district court uh, ruling as opposed to a higher court ruling but it certainly puts uh, governments on notice that that you can win uh, these cases if you challenge uh, them and that uh, you know it it makes total sense that that they would be public records otherwise um, governments would just communicate that way all the time right to avoid uh, uh, the possibility of, of of disclosure and accountability. So, I mean, there, that's an example of the type of thing we do, where we help the reporter um, or the member of the public uh, who has that question. Hey, was this the was this appropriate? Could they have denied this? And and we you know we help them uh, figure that out um to really understand what their rights are and then um connect them with the attorneys to to challenge um to challenge uh these denials if it's appropriate if it's if it's we feel like it's it's the if it was you know something that that uh was wrongful and of course you know if it if it uh a bad you know a, a ruling or a decision like that could affect a lot of a lot of people especially a lot of journalists trying to do their jobs. And and for people who don't know, a lot of this is left kind of up to the discretion of the body that holds the records, right? I mean, they they, they can the the language for denial is fairly vague and broad. I know I've run into this a lot with trying to get record requests from, you know, local town government here in Estes Park, but really they can say no, this is not in the public interest and and leave it at that. And if you're not, you know, even as if I were, I looked at doing some freelance work once again for the, the paper I used to write for, but it, there was no legal protection at all involved with the contract. Um, so th that, that burden of bringing something like that to court can be much more difficult for journalists in this new, this new era. So it's just, maybe you could explain a little bit about that denial process for people that are not up on kind of the, the Cora uh, system here in Colorado. Yeah. So uh, first of all, there's two public records laws in Colorado. There's the CORA, the Colorado Open Records Act, and there's the Criminal Justice Records Act. Right. So the CORA um, covers all public records at the state and local level, except for police records, except for law enforcement records. And these two statutes work pretty differently as far as the presumption of openness goes. 
if you're uh, requesting any records from, say, the, the town of Estes Park, for instance, um, that's not a police record, um, you can make an assumption that the record will be open to you because the, the city, the town, would have to cite something in the law that says you can't have it, right? They'd have to either cite something in CORA that says we have the discretion to withhold it or we can't disclose it at all. So, or someplace else in state law or, you know, a court ruling, that type of thing. If it's a police record, they have a whole lot more discretion to say it's contrary to the public interest. So um, that has been, um, that's a difficult issue for requesters of law enforcement records in Colorado, because it's very easy for law enforcement agencies to withhold them saying it's contrary to the public interest. Now, there's been some really important exceptions passed by the legislature the past uh, few years to that, which have opened up some records. One are, um, has to do with police internal affairs records. And our organization actually worked with the ACLU on this bill a few years ago and helped get this passed. So if a, a police officer has been investigated for misconduct involving a member of the public, um, and that internal affairs investigation is complete, you actually are entitled to that record now. Whereas before, a lot of agencies said, oh, contrary to the public interest, we're not going to give it up. The other um, progress we've made in that regard is about police body cam footage. And that also used to be a record that they could delay, uh, withhold indefinitely, saying it's contrary to the public interest, we're not going to give this out yet. Or maybe when they do, they'll just give out a little bit of it. But if there is a incident um, that that uh, involves uh, alleged mis misconduct or a complaint of misconduct about a police officer, that body cam footage then is releasable um, under a specific timetable in the law. Now, there's loopholes in in both of these laws that I've written about. They could be made better. Uh, but they still are much better than they used to be as far as access. Gotcha. So your role as an advocate and resource for journalists is, is well acknowledged. Can you share some insights talking about how we've, we're seeing this shift um, and Colorado is kind of a, a front runner in this um, to, to different approaches as, as legacy media kind of falls apart and, and rebuilds itself um, a lot of journalists are now finding themselves, you know, on Substack and, you know, venturing out on their own. It's, it's a lot uh, like Corey Hutchins covers um, here in Colorado. Um, can you talk about have have you assist? How have you been able to assist journalists as they evolve into these new roles? As as the job descriptions are kind of evolving. Yeah. Um... You know, as we said before, there's fewer journalists than there used to be. There are some good things that have happened more recently in the past several years with, with uh, outlets like the Colorado Sun um, uh, being formed, um, the Gazette opening a Denver Gazette. You know, that adds, those have added more journalists uh, to the ecosystem uh, in Colorado. It's still nowhere near it was. Uh, the, the way it was when the Denver Post and the Rocky Mountain News were at their prime. But you do have uh, more than there used to be, um, at least, you know, 
working for those those news organizations. But like you said, you also have some really small or even one person newsrooms sometimes. And um, in our role, we'll we'll work with anybody. The um, uh, another thing that has happened uh, here that has helped quite a bit um, because you need that legal firepower, uh, especially for journalists, we've been able to get a little bit more of that. A few years ago, the Reporters Committee for Freedom of the Press had a competition to add a, an attorney in each of five states that won this competition. So I applied on behalf of Colorado and we got one. So we have a, a, an attorney, Rachel Johnson, who's dedicated to Colorado, to Colorado journalism, uh, from the Reporters Committee for Freedom of the Press. He still works, she works for them, but she lives here. And, and their work is, is a promo for Colorado journalists. So um, uh, a lot of the questions I, I get uh, from journalists that need legal assistance I will run by Rachel. I'll run them by Rachel and Steve Zansberg, our board president. I did one this morning that had to do with um, a right to report issue. It was more, it was less a, a question about public record, but whether someone could actually use a public record in their reporting. Uh, just, I don't want to give up too many details about it. No, no, no. They haven't reported it yet, but it was more of, of a legal question about, uh, do I have the right to use this in a story? And 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 yes, they do because um, uh, they didn't do anything unlawful to obtain the information. But um, but Rachel uh, chimed in on that and and reinforced what I what I knew to be the answer, and um, and that was great. Rachel has also um, filed some pretty important lawsuits uh, on behalf of of news organizations in Colorado, and and so we might be talking about. Um, She's helped the Denver Gazette, but she's also helped um, the Walsenburg World, you know, the, a tiny little newspaper um, uh, file a lawsuit in, a, in an open government case. So and, and if it's appropriate, it really doesn't matter if it's, a, if it's a, a, one of the bigger newsrooms or a one person newsroom. Um, and so I feel good that we've, we have more resources, especially to offer journalists in Colorado who may need that assistant, assistance. It's a little bit harder for just the public because, um, uh, you know, what, what happens in, that ca in those cases, if I feel like uh, someone needs legal assistance there and I've done everything I can do to help them strategize about, about some uh, uh, case, I can then refer them to some lawyers who do this work. Um, but it's we have more resources if you're a journalist. So in the vein of that, I know a lot of my listeners are writers and and you know specifically younger journalists. Um, you know what would your best practical advice be uh, as far as using freedom of information laws to their full potential here in Colorado for someone who's just getting started? Um, what's your best? You know you've been in the game a long time. Um, you've seen it all. What, what's your best practical advice for, for people just now starting this, this journey? Yeah. Um, so uh, think, try to get into a public records mindset. So, you know, whatever the story you're working on is, um, uh, you know, ask yourself uh, the question, 
Um, are there records that can help you make the story stronger, more precise? I always tell, when I talk to, um, I do workshops and presentations and I talk to a lot of college uh, journalism classes. And, and I often tell them that uh, public records will speak when, when people won't. So, you know, so uh, a, a person in government is not required to talk to you, but um, you can request records about whatever it is that you're interested in. So, so uh, I had a, a question yesterday from a news organization. Um, this town um, is saying that they, uh, it was, the question was about a, a, a plant that was supposedly being closed. And the town would, uh, the mayor wouldn't talk about it. He said that there was a non-disclosure agreement signed with this company, which is strange to me. And, and what I told the reporter is, you know, okay, the mayor, there's nothing requiring the mayor to talk to you, but they have to respond to your records request. Not only that, if they're going to deny you any or all uh, of those records, they have to cite something in the statute. So another piece of advice for people doing this brand new is when you request public records, always say something to the effect that if you deny any or all of this request, cite the portion in the statute uh, or elsewhere in, in state law that allows you to do so. We have a, a template on our website that, that has that language in it. Um, so you know, you know whether uh, the response is, is appropriate or not, or if you suspect that it's not, you can contact me. You can contact CFOIC and see. By the way, I, I, I have to mention that on our website, which is coloradofoic.org, we publish a very comprehensive guide to the open government laws in Colorado. Um, I'm very proud of that. We keep it updated with the latest um, law changes, the latest court rulings that affect access to records and meetings and things like that. And it's free. It's, any, it's there for anybody to use. And I'll say I have used it numerous times as a guide when I've done record requests in my own work. That's great. So um, we're, we're in an era where digital media is, is becoming dominant. It already is. Um, it's changing the way information is accessed and disseminated. How is this digital transformation affecting the landscape of information access and strategies of the CFOIC? I mean, there was at one point in time where you couldn't pay with a credit card. I believe that's changing. You know, they were going to give you printed copies at an exorbitant cost. We're seeing some progress on that. But what would you say the state of this, this digital revolution is when it comes to the disclosure of information? Yeah, um, there's still problems with that. Um, so we've been able to get Quora modernized to some degree in that regard. Um, I still hear about governments saying, uh, we need you to write us a check in order to pay for those public records um, or a money order or something like that. Quora has been changed um, just last year to say that you can now pay for rec public records by credit card or electronic payment if, and the, the, the government has to offer that option to you if they allow payments uh, for other things. Yeah, like way. gas bill or phone or whatnot. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Some city um, service. Unfortunately, yeah, unfortunately, it doesn't apply to police departments. It doesn't apply to the courts, um, and and um, you know we're we'll still fight to get that changed. 
Um, the sponsor of the bill last year only wanted the bill to apply to CORA, not those other statutes. So, you know, we, we didn't get any further uh, with that. But there are things um, that are still pretty antiquated in the law. And the other thing that we have not talked about is our fees. So uh, fees uh, for public records can be a tremendous obstacle. Um, and and it's, it's a problem in Colorado. It's a problem that's going to get worse in Colorado. Um, in Cora, the, uh, what they, the a government can charge you for what's called research and retrieval. That's the time they can take to uh, pull the records, to review the records, to make sure that nothing goes out that either they can't release or that they have discretion uh, over. Um, and and um, and then to put them in some form that that uh, they're releasing them to you. The first hour has to be free. Um, the rest of it, um, they can charge up to thirty three dollars and fifty eight cents an hour. Um, and when you multiply thirty three dollars and fifty cents fifty eight cents an hour by five, ten, twenty, fifty hours, that makes a quarter request very expensive. The other aspect to this is that rate goes up with inflation every five years. That's in the statute. It's going to go up July 1st oh. of this year. And so I have asked the rate is set by legislative council, which is the research arm of the state legislature. And it's tied to the CPI, the consumer price index. Um, last year, I asked, I've done this a couple of times now, the director of legislative council has run these numbers for me and estimated uh, what it's going to be because, of course, we had uh, inflation has been an issue the past uh, few years. It's very likely going to be 40 or $41 an hour. Wow. Um, when it, yeah. So it's going to get more expensive. Um, we have tried the press working with the press association to get the legislature to address this. That Cora bill that passed last year that did little things like the, the credit card deal. We wanted that bill to address fees, and um, they just the leg, legislators just wouldn't do it. So, I I wish I were more hopeful that we're going to get a a solution to that sometime soon. Well, looking ahead. And what the future objectives and challenges are you foresee in the, the near future for the CFOIC and just, you know, requests of information here in Colorado. Um, are, are there any specific goals or projects on the horizon that you're particularly excited about? Well, we always have issues that we're, we're interested in and, and working on. Um, we have a, a relationship, a loose relationship with the University of Denver Law School. Um, We've had six or seven reports that law students do for us. And so the, the one we did most recently was about disappearing messaging apps. Oh, yeah, and, I just read yeah. that. Quadratic, yeah. right? Quadratic. Well, that's another one. That's another thing. But it's similar, right? It is well, similar. Two lawsuits against the legislature. One was that was uh, uh, they were uh, a, a judge recently ruled against the legislature on what on this quadratic voting system, secret ballot system to decide um, uh, to prioritize bills that affect the state. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, 
KUNC had, had done a lot of reporting on this about a year ago, uh, interviewed me a few times about this. The lawsuit ended up being brought by uh, a conservative group called the Public Trust Institute. And just very recently, a judge ruled that that was illegal. The other thing, um, there was also a lawsuit about or the state legislature was about the use of these disappearing messaging apps. And there was a consent decree in that case. And um, that's an issue. We had a law student do a report on that. I'm interested to know, you know, sort of into the future where this goes, because I think a lot of officials, uh, both at the, at the legislature level, uh, state government level, uh, local level, are, are using these apps to communicate outside of public view. Um, the, there are two main problems with it. One is that the open meetings law says that, you know, the public is supposed to be invited to meetings at which public business is discussed that affects, uh, that concerns the policy making function of that public body. Um, public business shall not be conducted in secret. That's what the open meetings law says. And, um, you know, it doesn't matter whether the meeting is held in person or by Zoom or by email or text message, it's still a meeting. So when you have these, uh, use these disappearing uh, ephemeral uh, messaging apps, uh, there's no way to let the public know about this. And then there's also no record of the meetings if the message disappears. So you can't pour up for it uh, after the fact. So that's something I'm, I'm really watching, um, how technology is changing um, the way these laws are, are um, uh, how it impacts these, you know, the, what these laws are supposed to be about. Uh, technology can, can help so much, but it can also help you uh, circumvent these laws as well. So you always have to be on top of that type of thing. And so that's one of the things that we we keep on the lookout for. Gotcha. So finally, Jeff, for anyone listening who wants to get involved or learn more about the efforts to maintain government transparency, what resources or steps would you recommend? And how can my audience support the cause of open government with, with you know, how can, if they want to contribute to the fight here in Colorado, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, so I mean, Colorado Freedom of Information Coalition is a 501c3 nonprofit. Um, we are nonpartisan. Our main uh, focus is education, but also some advocacy for government transparency. And um, if you go to our website, coloradofoic.org, we have lots and lots of resources on there, not only that guide that I mentioned, but also there's, um, I write a blog about these issues. I treat uh, as a former journalist, I guess I, I have to say former since I'm also an advocate now, um, I treat open government as my beat. So I write quite a bit about these issues, um, whether it's um, you know some bill in the legislature or some court ruling. Uh, the thing you'll see on there that's featured right now is a story I did about this lawyer who is in Pagosa Springs. Who yeah, I read that filed almost 100 open government loss lawsuits um, representing himself 
uh, as so, and and he is doing this um, because he he believes uh, in holding uh, government accountable. This is mostly about the open meetings law, but what he's doing is very controversial, and um, the school boards especially are trying to. Uh, stop him. And so there's this case is this one particular case is now in the Court of Appeals. And they're, they're claiming that um, he doesn't have the legal standing to to keep doing this because he doesn't live in these communities where he's he's suing. Um, so, and and you know, he has issues, been settling like quite a bit. Yes. I mean, about three yes. grand a pop, right? I mean, it seems yes, like he's exactly. throwing spaghetti on the wall and seeing what sticks. He's, yes, Do, his, does that does something like that help or hurt? The cause of of freedom of information yeah. here in Colorado. What it's, do you think? It's a really it's a really good question because um, on the one on the one hand we don't have a lot of lawyers in Colorado who do this kind of work. So, and I also you know as an advocate for government transparency, I really do think it's important to hold uh, the governments accountable. On the other hand, um, it 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 is um, there has been such a negative negative reaction to what he's doing that um, we've had to fight legislation that can make uh, that can make it worse for everybody. So last year in the legislature, a bill was introduced directly in response to what this lawyer has been doing that would have been have changed the way um, you can hold governments account accountable for violations of the open meetings law, in particular, the way they announce executive session. So it wouldn't, wouldn't just affect uh, this lawyer, it would have affected everybody in Colorado, and that's what we objected to. So I feel like we still have to defend his right to do what he's doing, even though it can um, make it more difficult sometimes to um, combat the, the the proposals that come out of it. So we spent a lot of time last legislative session um, trying to defeat this bill, which the governor eventually vetoed. We had it whittled down quite a bit, and then he vetoed what was left of it. But that was a lot of time and effort to try to uh, convince the legislature that that passing this was was a bad idea for, for everybody. Um, and I don't know, we might get something like that again this legislative session. So I have mixed feelings about about what's going on there. Well, Jeff, I want to just take the time to say thank you so much for taking some time out of your day and sharing your insights and experiences with us today. Your work and the efforts of the Colorado Freedom of Information Coalition, I, I think, are just invaluable to upholding the principles of transparency and accountability in our government. And uh, I want to thank our listeners for uh, tuning into the Colorado Switchblade Remember to stay informed, stay engaged, and keep advocating for open government. All right, Jeff, thanks so much. I really appreciate yeah, thank, it. Yeah, and thank you, Jason, for your interest in this. All right, folks, that's going to be the show for today. Well, that's all I got. I know, I'm usually more chatty, but uh, it's been a day. All right, folks, I hope you enjoyed the show. Stay classy, Colorado. We'll talk to you soon.